0: Ricky Ortiz is changing the face of gaming, and bringing a lot more representation to this corner of the sports world. This week, we also delve into another story of representation, and a life lost far too soon. Nick Gabaldon is a surfing legend, an athlete who is equal parts myth as he is icon, and his life was lost before he could really change the sport. Speaking with us on the subject is Rhonda Harper, who has been working tirelessly for close to 20 years to change the face of surfing she's the founder of black girls surf an organization that is mentoring motivating and coaching surfers of color to diversify a sport that remains largely white she's a dedicated leader who is adamant that surfing would look a lot different had nick gabaldon's life not been tragically cut short this is in fuego Every mall and pizza spot had them in the 80s and 90s. If you had some quarters and a few minutes, you could pass the time on some iconic titles at that one place time forgot. I'm, of course, talking about the arcade. Now, for a couple of decades, we could pick our poison. You could slide on over to the X-Men cabinet and see if there was an opening to get your Berserker Barrage on. Or maybe you were more into NBA Jam, seeing just how far you could take Alonzo Mourning and Larry Johnson against would-be competitors. For Ricky Ortiz, the arcade was paradise and Street Fighter soon became her throne. While we've become so used to interaction through the isolation of the smartphone, the arcade was the ultimate watering hole, a place where you could meet friends, chill out, and for someone like Ortiz, dominate with one unrelenting Chun-Li combo after another. Ricky, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, of course, it, thank you for having me. It, it's truly a pleasure and to get, you know, the perspective of someone who's been in esports for so long. Um, but, you know, I kind of wanted to delve into your, your childhood, your upbringing, and, you know, kind of when you first fell in love with video games um, in this place, you know, that a lot of people don't know about anymore, arcades, you know? I know. Um, so what was that like? What was your upbringing and how did you fall in love with, with video games?
1: Uh, my upbringing has always been, um, I've always been involved with video games um, um, here and there as a child, because when I was younger, uh, my parents worked extremely frequently. So I was pretty much raised by my grandparents and my older cousin, Sonny, he is uh, pretty much like a like a brother to me. Um, he used to always play Atari and Nintendo. So I always, I always used to watch him play. At the time, we were both young. He was, he was about four years older than me. Um, but we're, as you know, kids, he, would, he, he, would, he wouldn't share with me, and he would just be greedy with the video game. And there would even be times where, like, the Nintendo wouldn't work, and you have to, would have to put pressure on the cartridge, so he'd make me, like, hold the cartridge down while he'd play. But I still got the experience of hanging out with my cousin and still watching him play. And <clears throat> when my parents would come pick me up in the evening time, my, before, um, before we'd go home, my father would spend some bonding time with my cousin and take him to the arcade. And at the time I was like around four or five. And, um, my dad at the time thought I was, or my parents thought I was too young to go with them. So my, my parents would always say, Oh, um, your father's going to take your, your older cousin to dent, to the dentist. They're going to go to the dentist because, um, he has to get some like cavities filled or whatever. And that was, Definitely afraid of the dentist when I was a little kid. So I was like, oh, heck no. I don't want to go to no dentist. No, forget that. So they would go to the arcade for a couple hours, bond, play some video games, and come back home. And then I would just spend time with my grandmother, my grandfather, and my mother. And um, we would just go home after that. And um, so fast forward like a year or two later, my dad actually invited me to go with him, with him and my cousin to go play video games at the arcade. <clears throat> and it was a completely new experience for me. I had no idea what I was getting myself into and um it just so happened that they would play street fighter 2 together all the time and um i think that's what sparked my love of playing street fighter right there is just just watching them play and being so fond of my cousin at the time and trying to be kind of like him that i just want to like mimic and imitate how kids do so i want to instantly play fighting games and play street fighter so i play street fighter with them play casually initially when i played i picked blanca and Dalsum, the two oddball characters but eventually Chun-Li grew on me the most so i stuck with Chun-Li And that's basically kind of how I did my my initial four way into video games. And we we, we would have that little ritual pretty much every day, Monday through Sunday for at least two hours, we'd go to the arcade. My dad would give me $5 worth of tokens and I'd go to play a bunch of fighting games and mainly street fighter and get my butt kicked as a little kid mashing buttons pretty much. And pretty much as time went on, like we started doing that up until my early teens. And then my father got older kind of lost interest in fighting games and kind of lost interest in games in general, except he used to like playing puzzle games. So he'd play puzzle games at home on the PlayStation. But I, I was pretty much in it like knee deep. I like love fighting games at this at this point. I love competition, I love competing, I love playing. It was so fun to me. I just love the drive and the thrill of it. And I had met so many friends at the arcade. So I feel like it was like a second home to me. So I continued to play as they kind of trailed off into basically, my, my my father was obviously already an adult but my cousin my cousin was turning into an adult. He had a steady girlfriend at the time living with her. He kind of like lost interest in it but I kind of kept on with it as a child and into my teens and still, still to this day.
0: It has to be hard to make the move to competitive gaming somewhere along the line self-doubt has to creep in then again it becomes evident just how good you are when hours pass and you haven't yet relinquished the controls crowds begin to gather and it's apparent that you do have some skill at this video game stuff well that's to and at what point you know i want to talk about the arcade community versus the online community and the similarities and things like that but First, you know, when did it stop being button mashing? When was that aha moment of you saying, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this?
1: I would say for me, the aha moment came when I was about, I would say like 11 or 12. That's when I started getting noticed in the arcade. And when I, and and frankly, like the most obvious thing for me personally was when I would stop losing, when I would just kind of stay on the cabinet for hours at a time and rack up these like crazy win streaks and people were watching and people would, people would be like oh like this kid's like really good you should watch this kid this kid's like super good at fighting games and then I started of realized, hey like I'm pretty good at this this is like really fun but I never I never did dream of it really becoming into a profession or a reality back then like like that, that 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 would that never really dawned on me I just really would go with my go go and play and have fun but and I knew it was a passion of mine but I never really thought it could turn into something like it is nowadays
0: A lot of what we love about video games is the power-up. A special item gives us a bit more ability in the virtual world. Well, think of nerfing as the opposite of that. Only it's not overtly recognized in the game. Nerfing is a change to a respective game that downgrades a character's ability. In the case of Ricky Ortiz, she found that the newest iteration of Street Fighter had severely cut into the prowess of her beloved Chun-Li, putting her at something of a crossroads to me, You know, 2016 or 2017, you had to deal with Chun Li being nerfed down to. You know, you had to kind of relook at your your character. Talk a little bit about the particulars behind, behind esports that some people might not get. That there's certain little specifics that in this sport that you have to deal with.
1: Oh yeah, there. Uh, so even t- even like I would say even to me, that's a new aspect of fighting game. That is that is very that is very that is a very new aspect to a fighting game because for me coming from the arcade scene I feel like that's where I got my my biggest competitive drive and I and I'll talk about that later. I got my most competitive drive from the arcade because I mean when you're in an arcade you want to stay in the cabinet as long as you can especially in a popular fighting game. You if you end up losing you have to wait in line forever again to play, you know. So you kind of just want to you kind of want to kick everybody's butt so you can stay on there. But um I would say the the aspect of, of nerfing and balance balance changes is, is extremely new. I feel like that was very common to esports pertaining to uh, like Dota and StarCraft. They would have updates and they would rebalance the game. But that only started that only came into the picture when um, Street Fighter Five came into play. And that would that that's kind of where you have to kind of have to rearrange your strategy in a in a sense when you're playing a fighting game because you might be used to this this moveset and these changes for a character but when the new year starts and the new season starts they kind of shift the balance of each character and they make some characters better and they make some characters worse so it could it, it can be a toss-up if a character is still going to be as as viable as as they used to be and it just so happened that Chen Li in the version that I was playing the initial version of Street Fighter V she was the best character in the game I felt um but and the the, the following season they nerfed her like so bad that she wasn't really that viable. And I have such a competitive nature from playing in the arcade as a young kid and from playing competitions in the past, we're not having to deal with characters getting nerfed and balanced that I kind of didn't believe that I would have to change my character. I kind of thought that I'd be able to persevere and play the same character and get the same results. But in this particular game, you kind of have to go with the meta. And that's kind of what playing in the new age of fighting games taught me that you, when you're playing, you can't always stick to the same thing. You kind of have to change your meta because in older games, there was no updates. You played the same fighting game for like 10 years with the same characters. And you kind of just dealt with the changes and you kind of try to persevere over them. So a lot lot of times people play, you would see people playing a lot of the same characters because they would only play the really good characters, which is like that now you play the good characters, but the tiers, they change, they fluctuate constantly. So you kind of have to stay on top of your game and, and, and stay on top of your toes and be extremely sharp.
0: Ever since I started out, people have been asking me for advice on all kinds of things. But in covering sports, it's usually about who's going to win and what team they should bet on. You got the Patriots or 49ers this week, Bucks or Raiders. Well, the best piece of advice I can give to anyone is where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. It's why I always tell people to visit my bookie. They've got deposit matches, free bets, and huge cash prize contests for you to take advantage of all season long. And if all action, check. College ball? Check. Plus, they have a mobile-friendly website and top-of-the-line customer service, making their platform a one-stop shop for all your betting needs. MyBookie offers action on everything from championship futures to NFL in-game live betting, making sure you're covered every step of the way. And congrats if you're one of the ones to cash in on the generous early season odds on the Lakers to win the NBA championship. Sign up at MyBookie today. And when you do, use our promo code Fuego to claim a halfway match on your deposit. If you put in $200, they'll spot you another $100 to play with. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code Fuego. That's Fuego. F-U-E-G-O. So you can claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports and more await you. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. Her first taste of competition came at the age of 13. It didn't go quite the way she wanted to, and it wasn't on the game she was used to. Ricky quickly discovered that winning is the only successful outcome when playing video games. What has that evolution been like, um, as a competitor? Um, what's the, what's the gaming community like now? Um, how has it evolved?
1: Oh man. Um, well, back then, I I had my first taste at. Um competing in a competition when i was about 13 years old um i used to play i played all the fighting games they had at the arcade because i you know i would get bored of one so i would go try to learn another one and play a different one and play a different one so i would kind of like move from game to game <clears throat> and and at the time they had a flyer at my arcade saying they're gonna have a tournament for a game called tech and tag and i used to play that game that was that was at the time that was a game that i had that was the most fond of so i was like oh crap like i've never Enter the tournament. Uh, well, let me let me enter this when it comes when the time comes and let me see like how good I do because I've never played and I seem to beat everybody here at the arcade. Maybe I'll, I could end up winning and I can win some extra cash or something, you know, or just you know, fill my oats or whatever. And so that tournament came, and I ended up getting third place and I got like really heartbroken about it because I really thought I could win, but I ended up not and I got third place and I was just really sad about it. So that was like really my first taste of competing. I would say. After then, I got like a really, I got a, like a fire under my ass that made me want to compete more and more. So I started asking around, looking online, talking to friends about other competitions. So back then, I would pretty much, we, me and my friends would take road trips to tournaments. We'd go to LA to compete in tournaments. We would go to like, I'm from the Bay Area, so we'd go from like San Jose to Malpitas to Sunnyvale Golf Land in San Jose to go compete to tournaments every, pretty much every week. They'd have different arcades would have different tournaments pretty much every week so I'd go to like three four tournaments a week competing and just playing and having fun with my friends and it went from that Third place ignited her play. From there,
0: she was traveling across the country to seek out any fighting re- competition she could. It wasn't necessarily a robust scene back in the day. That was until Street Fighter 4. Was.
1: And I feel like at that time, it pretty much reignited the fighting game community. Because there was a short time in 2008 when the fighting and community was pretty much dying. Because hmm. there was no new fighting games out really. And we were still playing the same old fighting games. And I think people were kind of just getting tired of that. And wanted to move on first move on from that until they finally released Street Fighter IV and I feel like that kind of catapulted the scene into pretty much what it is now. I feel like what the scene is now they have to thank Street Fighter IV for that because the scene is much bigger and much more mainstream than what it used to be because like I said back then it was me just traveling to local events and driving to events to play sometimes flying to events maybe one two times a year but now it's it's huge to a point where it's like all over the internet and it's all over twitch and you know there's hundreds of thousands of people who watch competitions online and like there's massive prizes and now I travel all over the world to compete and play and it's much more, it's much more hectic than when it used to be, but it's still extremely fun and I love doing it.
0: Ricky Ortiz transitioned twice within the gaming community. And for all the ill that gets written about acceptance within a group sometimes coined as anti-progressive, Ortiz found nothing but love and support during a tumultuous time in her life. She first came out as you know, homosexual, but that label just never felt kind of right having, to her. You know, um, so she had to endure there, another transition. System, you know, and when this on, time really was again on. met with open and arms and friends eager to learn isn't more. not always like that. You know, it's, it could be very caustic, very, you know, talk about, you know, finding your identity you know um coming out as gay and then finding out that no that's not really who i am and doing that within a community that Mm. can be caustic (laughs) at times that can be really just you know horrible at times to people um what was that like
1: um initially initially yeah i I just thought i was a a a gay a gay boy at the time Mm. um at the time, no one really asked about it. No one really talked about it. Um, I always, always kind of scared that someday somebody would ask me, but no one really did early on. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> it all happened one day. Um, I forgot what year it was, but I want to say like around maybe like 2004 or five. Hmm. Um, uh, me and my, me and one of my really good friends at the time. We used to always go to Union City, which is in the East Bay, in the Bay Area, to go play um, uh, video games with my with my one of my other friends. His name is Peter, and we would go to his house always to go and just practice and play that. We were like we were like the Three Musketeers basically at the time, and we'd always compete with each other and play with each other. And we were driving there, and my friend he kind of just flat out asked me. He's like, "Oh, I just want to ask you. I don't mean any disrespect, but I just want to ask you if you're gay." And I kind of paused and was shocked because I didn't, no one's ever asked me that. And I kind of didn't know how to reply to that. But I pretty much told him, yeah, like I'm gay. I don't really talk about it. It's nothing that really matters. I feel, and you know, I'm still the same person. He's like, oh yeah, like he kind of welcomed me with open arms and just kind of just, he just wanted to know and to clear the air and just to get the elephant out of the room. And that was pretty much my first experience with coming out in the community and as with people basically who who had my back. And um, I will say that ever since i came out as as a gay male and then i came out as trans it was it was a very smooth transition for me not so much physically but just like with the entire community and with all of my friends and everybody in the community i feel it it was such a pleasant experience because it was also hard for me to come out as trans i suffered with that for a while i was i've always knew that at some point that I didn't feel right as being a gay male because I really already felt like I was that wasn't me to begin with. I just didn't know really any terms for it because back in the day you didn't really hear anything about trans people. And like I said in past interviews, like the only the only the only correlation I had with being trans was watching RuPaul on RuPaul's talk show back then. you know, I thought maybe well is that me? Like I I kinda really didn't know. But then once I finally realized who I was and that I was actually a transgender female, I felt like it was a whole nother ballpark for me because it's like it was already hard for me to come out as a gay male and then now i got to come out again as being trans and so it kind of ate me up for years i i kept that inside until i was 30 so that, that was until i was 2013 until when i finally came out as being trans and i was also scared because i i didn't know much about it i knew that's what i was but i just didn't want people to think different of me i was just i was extremely scared and i was extremely scared back then because it was just it was very hard for me but when i came out i had a breakdown with one of my really close friends and i told her about how i felt and about how me being trans and not telling anybody was kind of putting a hinder on my happiness and putting a hinder on just me competing because though i was still competing and still winning in events it was always in the back of my mind. Even when I'm competing at the time, like I could not get it out of my head. It was always there just, just eating away at me. So I finally had a breakdown and I finally came out and the scene was extremely welcoming and opening. Like all my friends were so were so helpful and they were all so, so eager to learn more about it and to understand me and I'm very grateful for that.
0: COVID fatigue is real. I feel it, you feel it, Ricky Ortiz feels it. But she lets us in on how she has coped with life within her own pleasant bubble. That's fantastic. So having like that support really system during those times, system, you know, mental um, health does suffer, especially yeah, during those downtimes. Because I, I know, like, especially I now like during overall, COVID, everyone, it, you know, it, I, I've been are pretty dealing well with, overall. You no know, um, depression, I have, mental health. the um, support system. Right how now, currently, I has live that with a, a, a couple of me and a couple of um, friends
1: live together. So yeah. we're constantly, always checking in on each other, hanging out with each other, keeping each other company, keeping each other sane for the most part. Because, like you said, times right now are crazy. Yeah, I also have my significant other, who also is, who also lives at me, who's also always checking up on me and we're always just kind of just hanging out together and trying to keep busy and doing new things and whatnot so I'm thankful that I'm able to just be able to still work and still be able to be maintain my happiness throughout this time
0: that's great it actually kind of leads me you know I definitely want to talk about absolute but um it leads me to what you do when you're not gaming you know what um um, you know what other what other you know games are you into but also you know in, in your downtime when you want to get away I know it's we're kind of stuck inside a lot nowadays, but. Um,
1: totally, but, yeah. yeah. Um, well, uh, I'm a very, I'm a, normally a very outgoing person. So when this whole like COVID thing first happened, I was like, shit, like, well, what am I going to do on the weekends? What am I going to do on the weekdays? Like, this is, this is, this is just, this is, this is a new, whole new ballpark to me. I, like, I just, I didn't know what, I, I wasn't necessarily scared, but I was just like, oh my God, am I going to be bored? And then I always I always joke with everybody in the community. And if you ever in the community, and you if I go on Twitter and I post about a video game, some friend will be like, Ricky, you don't play video games. Stop it. You only play fighting games. They're like, you're not a gamer. You are a fighting game player. And I'm like, that's not true. You know, no, but it, but it, it is kind of true in a sense. But leading back to the question you asked me, I actually started delving into like other games. So I play other games now. So like, I I recently beat The Last of Us Part 1, The Last of Us 2. I beat the new Resident Evil 2 remake, Resident Evil 3 remake. So I've kind of sort of delving into that into that aspect of my life again. From when I was young, I used to love playing video games, like all video games, not just fighting games. I used to love playing everything. It just so happened that fighting games were my favorite thing to play. But now I kind of I, I've kind of like reclaimed that part of my childhood, and now I look forward to play other games. And I play other games with my boyfriend. I play them by myself while I hang out in the room. I also like randomly. I go on walks i i started working out so i have a personal trainer now so i work out a lot now yeah i work out five days a week and there's times where like i'll get bored and i'll i'll throw my earphones in and i'll like take the bart to the city and go walk around in san francisco and maybe do like a little bit of shopping here and there but pretty much just pretty relaxed Uh, i'm also like i'm also a big foodie i love to eat and i love to try new food but um, I do feel like a COVID kind of put a hinder on that in a sense where you can't really eat at restaurants anymore. So I'll order takeout every now and then, and I'll I'll go, I'll go eat outdoors with my boyfriend every now and then. We'll have little picnics here and there to keep busy or just to have some fun and to keep it fresh. But pretty much that's about what I do on a daily basis.
0: That's awesome. Um, yeah, I love food myself. Um, and, you know, I, I read before that you kind of had a problem with online gaming because you didn't like the lag. Have you had yeah. to get over, Have you had to get over that recently? Because, I mean, it's... There's not a lot of, I don't know if a lot has started as far as um, LAN type of competition um, or if it has, it hasn't been full blown. Another downside to the pandemic is that streaming has become far more important in the realm of gaming, despite its difficulties in fighting games. The most minute details are magnified as the Internet slows. The dreaded lag means gamers have to adjust and pivot during a time when a lot of LAN competitions just aren't feasible.
1: There is so the way the way I transitioned early on was um, initially like to keep busy. Initially, like I told you, I was kind of like I didn't know what to do initially, so I started actually started streaming early on. So I streamed for about three months, which I want to get back into. Had some had some personal issues that happened, so I had to had to stop for a little bit. But I I ended up started streaming and I was streaming all the fighting games like Street Fighter V, Grand Blue Versus. I, and I started I I streamed Final Fantasy VII when that came out. So I, I used to do that to, to pass the time and to just to have some fun and interact with people, even though the people are not in real life, at least I get to interact with people online to have some kind of, to keep my sanity in some way. But as for, um, as for persevering when it comes to online play, it's extremely hard in fighting games, and especially for me, per se, because I'm such a reactive player, and when there's no rollback on online, which for the five and a lot of fighting games online don't have, it's extremely hard for me to compete because I can't read an opponent well when I can't react to them. So as of now, the, there hasn't been much improvement with online online play for Street Fighter. So I've been playing mainly offline with my roommates and not so much online. Um, there's a, they have like they throw like local tournaments in certain regions. They have like they have tournaments in SoCal for online events. they have online events for in, um, in New York City. They have some in Texas for for their particular scene. But it's very rare that people that are not in that area enter because they don't they don't enter because they don't want to have like really bad internet connection or rollback so yeah and so the scene in a sense it's still stagnant when it comes to competition like they're still they're still having capcom cup um qualifiers Mm -hmm. but um they've had so many hiccups with it lately and they've had so many issues and it's just like it's i feel like it's very hard for a scene as a whole to take it seriously just because the internet the internet connection for the game is just so bad. Like if you were to watch it online, like there's so many rollback incidences and there's so many disconnects and there's so many hiccups. It's just, it's crazy right now.
0: Every sports learning, you look at football, baseball, Mm -hmm. everything. Um, So we're all just kind of. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I really do help that it like motivates um, every fighting game developer to, to work on a stable like internet connection or we're going to see a network connection for their fighting game because I do feel like overall that is going to be the wave of fighting games for the future. I feel like it's, a lot of it's going to be online and we're not, not going to have to travel as much, especially with, with, um, w- with, with the news of Riot creating a new fighting game that's supposed to come out eventually. I feel like that's going to probably start that process of fighting games being mainly online, I feel.
0: Absolute and Ricky Ortiz are a match made in heaven. Absolute has been proponents of the LGBTQ community in the past, launching the previous Absolute Rainbow campaign to celebrate diversity. Your career, Ortiz, has she recently just to wanted to move on to that the delicious, you know, albeit highly caloric whiskey. Absolute. So know, with the latest um, campaign, the two like? couldn't have been more perfect. For yeah, one
1: totally. That is, it's surreal and it's exciting and it's. I think it's also fitting because I was. Like I was telling Steven and I was telling everybody at EG when they came to me with the idea of being in the absolute campaign. Uh, initially I didn't even know much about it. They just said, What are your take? What's your take on absolute vodka? And I was like, I love absolute because I am I normally at heart I was a I'm a whiskey lover. I love to drink whiskey. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm always drinking whiskey. But since I started my fitness journey, I was like, you know what, I gotta find something with less calories, something a little bit more better if I'm gonna keep up this habit of drinking every now and then. I'm gonna try drinking vodka and so I went absolute because I just like what they stand for and I feel like they they help contribute a lot to LGBTQ they donate a lot and they're just very visible and they're in the they're in the spotlight for the for the community so I thought it was cool to purchase a product that basically helps my community out yeah so off the back I thought it was cool okay go ahead
0: Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, a, a big part of, you know, what we're dedicated to bringing to light is, you know, aspirational, you know, showing people, you know, what they can do. And you have those young kids growing up, you know, you being in the arcade, you know, possibly looking to the left and on a TV and seeing someone in their own avatar, in their own video game and mm-hmm. being like, one day I can do that. That's you. Um, what's it like being kind of that face of, of someone who's made it, you know, who, who's been able to, to kind of accomplish that feat?
1: I think it's like I said. I I think it's surreal, and it's something that I never thought would would happen. I never dreamed that I could make um, playing video games or competing in fighting games my job and my 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 livelihood. But I somehow I somehow made it, and I would just love to show other people that and that inspire, hopefully inspire other young kids and adults and who anybody that if this Latinx transgender female can do this, then so can you. It is, it's very possible for all of us to live out our dreams and achieve big things if we just put our mind to it and we work hard, and that's exactly what I did. I feel like there's, the, yeah, the, I feel like, yeah, there's talent behind every everything you play, but there's also a lot of hard work, and I feel like what people don't see is all the hours I spent at the arcade playing fighting games as a kid. Like, I was there every single day after school. There's even times when I cut school.
0: Arcades may largely be a thing of the past, but the gaming community has evolved into a multi-billion dollar industry that is now, most importantly, an acceptable avenue for communities such as Latino households. Forget the notion of a traditional path, from high school to college to a paycheck. Ricky Ortiz and so many more are showing that you can make it with heart and unrelenting passion.
1: There was even times where my parents would get calls from school like, Uh, Ricky's not in school like we want to know where Ricky is and my parents would like scold me for playing video games and coming from a, a Spanish background my grandparents were not about it my grandparents were not about me playing video games for a living they did not like the fact that I played video games they wanted me to to take a more traditional route but when they seen the when they seen me as a young kid having so much fun and actually, surprisingly, as a young child, making a decent amount of money, just going to competitions with friends and winning these competitions, they're like, "Well, maybe this, because maybe something, maybe something can come out of this." So, I just want people to know that, yeah, when I was young, I took a risk by not going the traditional route, but I feel like I worked hard, and I feel like it paid off in the long run. And I feel like, and and I'm doing what I love, and I feel like that's the most important thing.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I think you know a lot of the people we speak to. Um, especially, you know, as Latinos, um, we don't often get, you know, it's you, do a traditional, do something traditional, Yeah, always. but, you know, we always find a way, you know, find mm-hmm. a way that, you know, to do what, what you love. Um, and, and it works out when, when you do love it and you're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, where, where, what, what happens next? Um, you know, like you said, um. Hopefully we're, we're through this thing in the next year or so, but what is your next, you know, five years look like, 10 years, um, you know, where do you hope to be and where do you hope the gaming community is um, in the future?
1: Um, wow, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I definitely hope that, like I said, hope fighting games evolve more and more and more and become a more mainstay in American culture and world culture, because I feel like video games are so popular and it's undeniable how popular video games are back then and now. I feel like, you know, and there's, I feel I feel like just in our day and age, I feel like the stigma that we had when we were kids about video games is no longer there. There's no stigma of parents being like, you know what, you're a deadbeat. All you do is play video games. This is gonna amount to nothing, you know, because I heard that from my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles basically telling me, you know what, you need to you need to be good for your grandma and grandpa because you need to go to school and do this and that and live the traditional life because if you don't, you know, you're you're a bad kid, you know. But I feel like that whole stigma of that is gone. Like I feel like you can people now know that you can actually make a living out of video games if you put your mind, heart, and soul into it, and I feel like it's so true, and there's so many platforms now for people to do that. There's Twitter, there's Instagram, there's Twitch, you know, all these, all these platforms to show that the kids can basically put their talent in the forefront. I wish as a young kid I had, I had all that stuff, I don't have, I didn't have any of that as a kid. I just had the arcade, which of course I would never take for granted. I loved being in the arcade and playing and I wish that was still a thing, but I, I feel like going forward, I hope the community just continues to grow and it becomes stronger and it becomes just like a mainstay in the mainstay and just in sports in general and that street fighter continue or fighting games continue to grow and become an extremely popular tier one, like a tier one sport in esports. and where, where kids can make, you know, a, a living and if not more off of it.
0: Well, thank you, Ricky. I mean, this it, it is fantastic. You know, I can't wait to, to see the absolute campaign drop. And, and
1: I know, I'm excited for it. It was definitely a dream come true to have that happen. Like I never in a million years thought I'd be able to be a part of something like that with, with three other amazing people. So I thought it was so cool to be able to experience that and work work with them and to have them bring my character to light. I thought it was such a I thought it was such a cool experience and it was a lot of hard work and it had and I was literally like running and jumping in 130 degree weather and like doing all these crazy stunts and it was really fun. It was a cool experience.
0: Actually, tell me that because you know when in, in the 30 second spot we see your character come out and you're splashing out in the water and you're coming out into like real life and it's so apropos of what today is like. You know, coming out and being with friends after, uh, tell a little bit about that shoot. You it was it was hot there. Or where were you guys at? Where were you? Oh yeah, in? so
1: we were in Lake Malibu, which is maybe like twenty minutes away from Malibu, and this was uh, this is about uh, maybe like two months ago, and it was like in the dead of summer, and it was an outdoor shoot, and basically it's basic it was it's basically a story about people. Longing for connection and not so much online connection, but a physical connection. So basically my story was I'm at home playing video games and I'm having fun, but I'm longing for more. And that's when you see my character break through the screen because I'm breaking and basically breaking into reality where I'm going to meet friends, basically. Yeah, and basically they had me, they had me run through this wind tunnel and pretend I'm jumping through glass, and they had they had me like jump off this platform to try to pretend I'm jumping into water because we had set doubles help us with some things too. But it was such a cool surreal experience that I never thought that I would ever be a part of, and would never and would never do basically. And I have a a great sense of respect for actors and anybody else who does this because it's a lot of work. It's it is hard work, and it's like that thirty second clip that that literally took like like 24 hours literally because i was working i was working 12 hour days doing doing a bunch of like things and acting and doing jumps and stunts for them and it was really it was it was super cool and it was fun it might it might it have been grueling and i was like miserable in the heat but i i wouldn't take it back for anything it was so cool
0: you're on you were your own diehard like you're old bruce willis for a second there yeah like <laughs> The future of this industry is indeed bright. You can be the face of a global brand by simply plunking a couple of quarters in the machine and never stopping. 12 miles. From his usual spot in Venice, California to the prime surfing real estate in Malibu, Nick Gabaldon would paddle 12 miles. There's a hunger there an insatiable craving to be the best in your craft if you're going to take the time and paddle through Pacific currents so that you could surf among the elite. That was Nick Gabaldon. Agreed to be the very first prominent surfer of African American and Latino descent, and he was going to change the game. But things don't always work out. Tragedy sneaks in and robs this world of so many tremendous possibilities. This is the founder of Black Girls Surf, Rhonda Harper. Okay, so how this came about... The Hawaiian
2: paddle out is how it's a Hawaiian tradition. It's gone back hundreds of years, um, and it's a way of celebrating the life of someone that passes away. Um, so there's a there's a ceremony that that's involved, in, and uh, so we thought that this would be a the perfect um, opportunity for us in the surf community. Well. When I say us, I mean people of color. Mm-hmm. because what happens in surfing is we'll talk about a black death or a brown death. and and on our same Facebook page with our friends, they'll they'll have something about you know the waves being beautiful. We need to save save the whales and there's too much negativity going on in the world, and they're completely disconnected from each other. Mm -hmm. The original concept came from a man named uh, Anthony Gordon and his friends, and they contacted me. It was a California mermaid photography. They contacted me and asked if I would come down and be a part of the paddle out. And before I even said yes or put it on, uh, you know, posted it on my social media. I wanted to know what the intent was, what the actual um, what they saw as the outcome. Where were they going with it? Uh, were they just piling out for George? How 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 they you know just basics of you know because when you when you're an African American and some and and one of us gets killed, we want to make sure that it is whatever is done is. In, in the best intent of, of the, the party, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the paddle out is a gorgeous ceremony um, in the passing of a loved one or someone, you know, someone of his, high esteem. So I wanted to make sure that that intent was there and it was um, going to be passed on in, in a way that was respectful. And so I, we, uh, I talked to Anthony we decided that we were going to work together on this. So his original plan was he was going to have it at Tower 20 in Santa Monica um, on May 29th. I think that's what the date was originally set for. And when he said Tower 20, I said, well, do you know the si- significance of Tower 20? And he he it didn't I immediately dawn on him. Tower 20 in Santa Monica on Santa Monica's Beach at the end of Bay Street is where Inkwell Beach is. And Inkwell Beach was a segregated beach during the Jim Crow era. So that already was holding some significance right there. So I had we, I wanted to make sure this had layers. And then it also is the the home break of the first African slash latino surfer so i wanted to make sure that layer was added into that so the the actual paddle out that happened in santa monica uh had more depth and more meaning to it given the location given the timing um because the fifth which was the second inkwell paddle out was actually on the day that nick died so yeah nick gobbledon was the first afro african American slash Latino surfer documented. And I asked the city of Santa Monica to place in 2006, I asked the city of Santa Monica to place a plaque down at the location of that beach. So if you go down to Bay street at the end of Bay street, um, right in front of the Casa Del Mar hotel, that is Inkwell beach right there. There's a plaque right off to the left-hand side. And if you look to the left-hand side of that further, You'll see that they put artwork on the side of the bathroom. That's uh, the original photo of the people who used to patronize that beach. And so he died in 1951. And had he made it, had he not hit a pier in Malibu in 1951, surfing would not look the way that it looks today because he hung out with the prominent guys of surfing. His friends were like Bob Simmons, Ricky Gregg, Les Williams, Mickey Munoz, Greg Knoll, all those guys, uh, Stake Terry, all those guys would would leave uh, the Santa Monica area and go to Hawaii and become legends of of surfing. Mm -hmm. Nick, unfortunately, didn't make it. He, he perished on a big swell day in uh, June 5th, 1951. And so um, after that, the, the history was pretty much lost. Oh. And then I ended up finding it again when I was doing research on black uh, uh, surfers uh, in 2004. And so, I, you know, once you – and, and especially if you're a reporter, once you, once you see something like that, you want to do something about it. Like, what do you do? You can't sit behind the the laptop and just type all the time. Sometimes you're going to have to like put your boots on the ground and actually do something about it. And that's exactly what I did. Instead of just writing about it, you go to the city, you get them to demarcate and then you start the work of changing this culture of white nomination. Um, So that you, not only that you fit in, but the next couple of generations can fit in.
0: The sports world is so much richer and vibrant thanks to people like Ricky Ortiz, whose infectious play inspires fans across the world. And stories like that of Nick Gabaldon continue to resonate so many decades later. Young dreamers out there are conjuring some pretty fantastic ideas of their future. And it's all thanks to athletes like these. go podcast is edited by dylan wren i'm your host gabe Zeldebar. if you like the show you can help support it in a tremendous way by liking following and subscribing across your favorite streaming services give a comment or a five-star rating with your support you're helping give some of sports greatest stories the spotlight they deserve next week we do just that pulling back the curtain on a rather uplifting sports story you might not know about